0: Welcome to Activate Church Podcast, and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you, and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. How hungry are you? This is something that I heard from my mum uh, when I was growing up. So every time I would, I, I would get home from school or, or, or whatever, or work, she would say, all right, well, I'm about to serve dinner. How hungry are you? And uh, I would tell her, how hungry I was. My kids, they do the exact same thing. And, and I tell you what, my, my, when my wife, when she asked our kids this question, I have learned that they are hungry depending on what's being served, okay? So when I say to them, if I said, guys, tonight, how hungry are you? They're pretty smart. They say, well, what's for dinner? If I say it's pizza, they're hungry. If I say we're gonna have like vegetables and salad, they're like, I'm not so hungry, you know? So it, it's kind of funny because oftentimes people's hunger is dictated by what is served to them. I feel like um, there are some people in this room tonight that are hungry for change in their life. You're just hungry to see something different. And I want to let you know that depending on, on how hungry you really are for change, right, it, it's going to have a big impact on whether you get to see that change or not. Now, I've learned that in life, what can happen is is that you get served all kinds of meals. And I tell you what, you don't want to be the person that served something you don't want. And because of what you get served in life, it just changes how hungry you are for change in your own life. You get what I'm saying tonight? So sometimes to necessitate change, we get served something called sacrifice. But if you don't like sacrifice, then you're not hungry enough to change your life. But I feel like what God wants to do is he wants to shift some things for people in this place tonight. So I want to read you a scripture. It comes out of First Kings chapter 17. I'm going to read verse one, and then I'm going to jump straight to verse seven. And it says this, and this is uh, from a, a prophet, a man by the name of Elijah, who was a prophet. This is somebody that hears from God and speaks on behalf of God to the nation of Israel. And he says this in verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, who was the king of Israel at the time, he said, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be nor the dew, n- neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. What he was saying and prophesying and predicting was that there is about to be a drought. Jump down to verse 7. It says, And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. So he prophesied it. And after a while, everything that Elijah said actually unfolded and began to come to pass. Now, I I don't know how many days unfolded between the scripture that I just read to you and the scripture that I'm about to read to you, but there were many days, the Bible says. And now I'm going to read from chapter 18 and verse 41. It says, And Elijah said to Ahab, This is the king. He was still king at this time. He says, Go up and eat and drink, for there is the sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. And he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, because he prayed, he said, "Now Go up now, look towards the sea. And he went up and looked and said... There is nothing. There's, there's, there's nothing. And he said, go again. And he said that seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up and say to Ahab, that's the king of Israel again, he said, go up and say to King Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down lest the rain stop you. And in a little while the heavens grew black with the clouds and wind, and there was great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And this is one of my favorite passages of scripture uh, anywhere. It says, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Just for anyone that doesn't really understand what happened there, it says that that King Ahab took off on his horse and chariot. And then here comes Elijah, who essentially picked up, I don't know, let's call it a man's skirt. And so he picked up this because it's pretty hard to run in that. You're going to trip over yourself. So he picks it up and he just starts running with it and he outruns the horse. Now that is a pretty cool story, right? Because the hand of the Lord was on him. I just think that that is awesome. So so this is a story about where God brings a drought into a land and, and Elijah says to the king Ahab, he says, It's not gonna break until I speak again. Later on, he speaks again. They needed change in Israel. It didn't happen till Elijah spoke. They needed change. It didn't happen till he began to speak. You know, I've heard people talk about change. I've I've heard lots of sermons that have this fact in their sermon, this message, and they say something like 60% of the population resists change. 51% of the population resists change. I don't know where they get these stats from. I don't even think they're true. I don't think that the majority of the population resists change. Let me give you an example of this. If I was to take out my wallet right now and to give you $100, $100 that would change your life. I'm changing your future. I'm changing your circumstance. Who welcome who would welcome that change? For $100. See some of you got your hands down and I don't understand you, right? But but for the most part, right, maybe they were right. 51% of the population resist change, right? But but here's the point. Most people are happy to welcome change when it doesn't cost them. It's only when change costs you something that you resist it. My wife and I, for the first time in 11 years, decided to buy new furniture. We figured our kids are old enough to not draw on it anymore. So it's cool. We can buy new furniture. So we went to like all the furniture shops and Oz Design and you know uh, everywhere, and and so we found great furniture. Okay, and I remember looking at like you know table and chairs and saying, "Wow, this is awesome! Like this, this is a great." table and chair set. We should look at that and look at this couch. And this would go so well. And we were really happy with the furniture until we turned over the price tag and saw how expensive new furniture was. And then we're like, that is so awesome. And let's just keep it here. Why would you want to move that? We don't, we, I love that table and it really fits the, the furniture display room, certainly not my house. You know why? Because we like the furniture, we didn't like the price that was attached to it. I've realized something, is that when a price is attached to something that you want, and you're not willing to pay the price, you don't get what you want. You don't get the change that you want. Sometimes there can be a high price tag, on the change that you want in your life. And then you have a worse problem because then, let's face it, the reason you wanted change in the first place is because you have already identified that something needs to shift and something needs to change. But when the price is too high for change, you do something called renegotiating with yourself and you find a place of satisfaction in your circumstances, and that is a terrible place to be. Because you know that you need change, but you're not willing to do what it takes to change, so you learn to be satisfied with what you've already got. You get stuck where you don't want to be. Elijah is in a place he doesn't want to be. He doesn't want to be there. He's in a drought. He's in a drought. Have you ever been in a drought? Have you ever been in a situation where you felt like, spiritually speaking, the place where you are is so dry, you're like, where is God in all of this? Where is he in all of my current circumstances? And I am praying to him, but I'm in a spiritual drought My spiritual life, it's dry, it's arid. It doesn't feel like God is listening to me, like nothing good is going on. Have you ever been in a spiritual drought? Because I tell you, I have. I've been in that place I don't want to be. And have you ever wondered why that drought is there in the first place? How did you get to be in that spot? Why am I in this drought right now? Let me ask you another question before you answer that one has anybody here in this room ever come to God and said, Lord, just have all of me. Take me as I am. Use me for your purpose. Just hands up. If you've ever said anything kind of like that, God, use me, take me, mold me, shape me. What's wrong with you people? Are you crazy? Do you know that when you say that, I think we sometimes we sing in these words, this is why you should always engage in worship, because you don't, might not know what you're actually saying. God, take me, all of me, right? Use me as I am. You know, when you say that to God, do you know what he says? Awesome. <laughs> because now that you've said that, I'll have you. And what's more, I won't even ask you for permission. I'm just going to take control of your Situation and your circumstance, meanwhile, here's you on earth trying to make heads or tails of what's going on in your life. And do you know what you say? You say, I think the devil's trying to get at me, it's the devil. And like I'm telling you, sometimes the devil he feels like he's being persecuted by you because, honestly speaking. He says to God, God, I want you to know something. These Christian people are accusing me of messing up their lives. But I'm telling you, I didn't do it. And God says, I know that. How do you know? Because I gave them the drought. (laughs) What do you mean? I put the drought in their life. Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah. Why? Because... People don't like to change when it's going to cost them something. And so you know what God does with you sometimes? He creates conditions in your life that necessitate and force you to change because He loves you too much to leave you the way that you are. And he knows that if he doesn't shift and create the conditions that are conducive to change, you might just continue to coast along in life and stay the way that you are and you won't change. So he says, you already gave your life to me anyway. You said I could do whatever I want with you. So I'm going to change things in your world to bring you to a place where you say, all right, now I'm ready to change. Let me tell you about something that God does when he sends a drought into your life. The droughts in your life that are sent by God are never sent by him to destroy you. They're always sent by God to develop you. Amen. Good. And the next time you are in a drought situation, you should ask God, why am I in this place? Because sometimes the quickest way out of your drought is to figure out why you're there in the first place. And if you become developed to the point that God was trying to bring you to, maybe you'll get your exit strategy and you'll be able to get out of there. But I'm telling you, the droughts sent by God, the force change in your life, they're just there to develop you. He's not trying to destroy you. He's trying to grow you into something that you weren't willing to grow into until he facilitated that change by sending a season into your life that brings you to your knees and you say, I'm, Now I'm ready. I'm ready, God. I'm ready. I'm ready for change. I'm ready, God, for you to do something fresh and new in my life. Droughts have purpose. Droughts have purpose. Say purpose. Droughts, they have purpose. So here is Elijah, and Israel is in a drought, and here is Elijah at the very center of all of this. Now, why is Israel in a drought? Well, I'm going to tell you a little story that happens between the two scriptures that we read tonight. See, the reason that Israel is in a drought is because the king of Israel, King Ahab, has listened to his controlling and manipulative wife, Jezebel, and she was a Sidonian, which means that she was not from Israel, and she grew up worshiping other gods. So when she got married to King Ahab, she said to him, I don't want to worship your God. Let's worship my God. What's the name of your God? Baal. Okay. Now everybody, we're going to worship Baal. She got rid of all the prophets of the Lord. And she said, right, these are the prophets that are now going to intercede and we're all going to worship Baal. And so what happens is, is that Elijah comes and he says, there's going to be a drought in the land which is a circumstance that will necessitate change and force Ahab to change in the future. The Bible says many days pass. And then one day, Elijah runs into King Ahab. And they have this conversation. And King Ahab says to Elijah, he says, Oh, now I see you, you troubler of Israel, Elijah. Why are you here? What are you doing? And Elijah says, you've got to be kidding me, King Ahab. He says, you are the one that's causing trouble in Israel. Don't you get it? You see me as the person that's the problem, but the reason why all these things are going on in your life it's because you're leading people astray. And he, he really says to them, you know what? Hang on, we should do something. Let's get all the prophets of Baal together. And there were other gods that they worshipped, the prophets of the Asherah. And he said, let's get... 450 prophets of Baal, and let's get the 400 prophets of Asherah, and we should have somewhat of a competition. And depending on who wins this competition, right, and who's ever God answers, that should be the God that we worship. We should stop limping between two opinions, where one week we're worshiping God, the next week the, the, the God of Israel, and the next week we're worshiping Baal. So let's do that. So they say, fine. They have a, they have kind of like a competition, and they go up to Mount Carmel and they get two altars and they put a bull on each altar and they want God to respond. Each one, each one wants God, their God, to respond to the altar. So the prophets of Baal go first. And so they are there and they, they, put the, they put the bull on the altar and then they're like, all right, now Baal, would you answer us? And they're, they're, they're praying and they're, they're asking him to, to come and to do something and, and accept their offering and their sacrifice, Right? except that nothing is happening. It gets embarrassing. It gets embarrassing for a couple of reasons. One of them is because Elijah starts making fun of them. He says, Where is your God? Why hasn't he answered you? Maybe he's busy. And then he says, maybe he's relieving himself. In other words, maybe your God is on the toilet and he's a little bit indisposed right now, which is why he's not available to come and accept your offering. He's making fun of them. And they start trying to get his attention. They're cutting themselves and bleeding all over the place. And they're saying, come on, listen to us. We're so desperate for you, but nothing happens. Then Elijah says, all right, my turn, my turn. So he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take the ball, we're going to put it on the altar, and then I want you to take some water, and we're going to pour all the water on the altar, so that the timber is drenched, so that the whole situation is drenched, everything's wet. They dug a trench around the offering, and, and the water began to fill up the trench. In other words, it's absolutely soaking wet. He prays to God and fire comes from heaven and consumes that offering, dries up all of the water and it becomes very obvious to everyone at that point that the God of Israel is truly the God that they should worship. So what they do is they say, right, we'll seize those 450 prophets of Baal and we're going to kill all of them because they're leading us astray. So that's what they do. They kill 450 prophets of Baal. Now the thing is, is that God could have left them there in that situation and that circumstance. He could have let them keep worshiping Baal, but He loves them too much to leave them the way that they are. So He can, He, he creates this situation so that He can answer their prayers, so they know who God really is. So here is Elijah, and he kills the 450 prophets of Baal. I mean, that's tiring. He's, he's, he's tired. And then he turns to King Ahab and he says, now go and eat and drink. You remember that when we read that? He says, now go up and eat and drink. And when he said that, he wasn't saying, you must be tired after this, this whole day. This has been very emotionally taxing on you, King Ahab. Just go and have an afternoon snack and refresh yourself. You know? He's not saying that. When he says you should eat and drink, he's saying, I want you to enter back into a covenant with the God of Israel. That's what you need to be doing. And so King Ahab, in response to everything that he's seen and everything that he's heard, he says, all right. So he goes and done it, does it. And then Elijah prophesies and he says, there's going to be rain. And he knows it because he heard it. He heard it. You remember when he said that? He said, I hear the sound of the rushing of rain. He can't see it, but he can hear it. Sometimes you can't see it, but you know you heard it. Sometimes God will make you a promise... And you know what you heard, but you don't see it in front of you yet. That's a tough place to be. Elijah heard it. He can't see it, but he believes it. We call that faith. And he starts to act accordingly. Sometimes all you can see is the drought. That's where Elijah is. He heard rain. He sees drought. Have you ever been confronted by your circumstances that are completely contradictory to what you heard God say he was going to do in your life? If you're here and God made you a promise, I- I- I'm thinking there are people I know that are in tough situations with their, with their marriage. And they know that God said, I'm going to restore everything. I'm going to rebuild it. I'm going to do that. But then they wake up in the morning and they're confronted by an argument with their spouse. They heard it, but they can't see it. Sometimes it might be a work situation, a relational dispute. You heard God say he was going to do something, but it didn't happen. Some people might be saying, "Uh, uh, we're trying to fall pregnant. We want to have a child. God said, I will give you a child, but it's not happening yet. Sometimes we hear things and all we can actually see is the drought. Here's my point. Don't let your current situation begin to dictate to you what God is able to do. If you're in the middle of a drought, maybe right now you're in the middle of a drought, don't let the drought convince you that God is not able. You know what your drought is right now? Your drought is whatever needs to be changed in your life. But it's been there so long that you're not even sure that God is even able to shift it anymore. That's your drought situation. Droughts aren't a a one-day thing. They're not a one-day event. Droughts are seasons. They are long seasons quite often, right? And you're so accustomed to drought, you can't hardly believe that it's going to rain and it's going to change. And if you're feeling right about now, like you're thinking, you know what? I'm starting to get a little bit hungry for the changes in my life. I'm starting to think a little bit about the words that God gave to me. And I'm starting to think, I'd like to see something shift in my life you should know something before you make that decision because you won't grow beyond your desire to change. You won't grow beyond your desire to change. If you want change, but you don't desire it enough to do what you need to do to facilitate the change, it's never going to happen. You understand what I'm saying? We are 75 days away from summer. Just a little FYI for people. <laughs> 75 days. It's a good time to start thinking about getting fit. Now, some of you, you want to get your beach body (laughs) ready, okay? Now, if you want to do this, let me tell you about some changes you might want to make. Like, number one, you might have to change what you're eating. That's gonna cost you something. You're gonna have to go to the shops. And buy food that's actually healthy. You're gonna have to stop eating at KFC. You're gonna have to keep eating at Schnitz, but don't eat anywhere else. You know, like I'm, I'm telling you, you, might have to start eating differently. Maybe for for some of you, you know what it might mean is that you don't even have a pair of runners, right? So you're gonna have to go out and buy a new pair of runners. And the weather's getting better, so you know you can do it. Your excuses are even sounding thin to you now. You might actually need to buy a gym membership, right? And, and it's going to cost you money to get that gym membership. But wait till the sacrifice really starts. I'm talking to young adults, so I know I'm preaching good here, right? Are you ready for this? You to have to wake up really, really early in the morning to get to the gym before you get to work, okay? See, so this is the thing. I know everyone's like, no, that's horrible, You see, change is going to cost you something. But if you're unwilling to pay for some of those changes, if the price of waking up early is too high, if the price of a gym membership is too high, if the price of eating healthy is too high, if the price of convenience, a.k.a. Maccas, is too too easy to do that, then guess what? You might actually want change, but you're going to be among the people that don't get to see it. Do you know what I think about all of this? I think that the enemy... To change is satisfaction. And when you realize the price for change is too high, you renegotiate till you find a place of satisfaction. Here's what that looks like you're like, I think this is fine anyway, I don't care. I'm just happy the way I'm happy the way that I am, right? Now, if you are, that's fine, but if you wanted change and you know you're not doing it because the price is too high, that's another situation altogether. I'll tell you why this is so important. If you want change, you need to pay the price for change, and price is the great separator of people who see change and people who don't see change. So here is Elijah. He knows what he heard, but he knows he can't see it. And now Elijah faces what so many people face. He faces what you may have encountered, particularly if you've been a Christian for a little while. He now faces the gap between what he heard and what he saw. The gap between what he heard and what he saw. And the only thing that's going to bridge the gap between what he heard and what he saw is a miracle. You know how I know it's a miracle that necessitates it? Because if you were able to change the things that needed to be changed, if you were able to do it, you would have done it already. You need a miracle. I know people need miracles here because last Sunday night, this place was full of them. They came and said, I need to see something changed in my life. You need God to do what you can. Do you know what I've discovered? When you want God to begin to move in your life... The price that you pay, it's not money, it's prayer. Because prayer moves God and God moves the drought. You understand what I'm saying? When it comes to your prayer life, don't, don't have a prayer life that somewhat resembles a fire emergency button. I feel like some people, that's, that's what their prayer life can be like. before they develop a very good prayer life, they will wait till the whole thing is burning down around them and now prayer becomes very important. What is it that brings you to your knees? Is it the fact that you want a good relationship with God? Or do you wait till something goes so drastically wrong but that you really kind of have no choice but to pray? Because one of them facilitates change and the other one kind of doesn't. You want to see God begin to shift and move things in your life, you got to pray. I have a theory about prayer. I have a theory about people. This is how it works. People, this may have been you, if you've ever asked God for something and you know he said that he was going to do it and he hasn't yet done it. You can develop the belief that he's not going to. It's very easy to do. You develop the belief, maybe sometimes, that he is unable to do what you thought now you heard him say. Everyone has a belief about God. Sometimes those beliefs are informed. Sometimes those beliefs are not informed. Do you know what we call that? We call it theology. Everyone has an idea about the way that God works. And if you have begun to develop this idea that just because you haven't seen what God wants to do or what God said he would do, that he's unable to do it, then you may just have an uninformed theology. And I want you to consider what happened to Elijah. I I want you to watch something now. Watch this. Elijah prays to God and he says... Let there be fire from heaven. And fire comes down and consumes the sacrifice and the, and the offering. How many of you would say that that's pretty miraculous? How many of you say that's miraculous for fire to fall from heaven, consume the altar? Miraculous, right? Fire, miraculous. Rain, not miraculous. We live in Melbourne. We see it all the time. Not a miracle. Not a miracle. Maybe in a drought, a little harder to believe, but not a miracle, right? Right? So he gets to see fire from heaven, and then he says, God, let it rain. And there's no rain. Maybe he thought he was just in a bad position. So he says to the servant, hey, go up and have a look and just check, because the rain might be starting over there, and I can't see very there's a big rock in the way. So could you please go up and check and tell me what you see? Servant comes back, and he says, there's no rain. He says, well, you need to get your eyes checked. Because surely there's rain. I mean, we just saw fire from heaven. So surely, when I ask God for rain, there's going to be rain. And He says, oh, "Look, I just checked, and there's no rain." He's like, "Okay, it's a little unusual, but all right." So He prays again. He says, "God, send rain." Servant goes, checks, comes back, no rain. Says, so "That's weird." God, send rain. Servant goes and checks, comes back, no rain. God, send rain. Servant goes, comes back, no rain, God send rain. Nope, didn't happen. God send rain. He prays six. Some of you are like, oh my gosh, like, we really get it. You don't have to keep doing this. No, I do because I'm not so sure you do get it. I'm not so sure you do get it. Because when you're convinced by unanswered prayers that God's not going to move, you might just quit before you get your answer. And I want to make sure that you really get it because here's Elijah who just saw fire from heaven is absolutely certain that God can move and here he is praying for rain. Not a miracle, praying for rain and he's not seeing it. So you know what he does? He just keeps praying. Six times he says, God, would you send rain? Six times the answer comes back and he says, no, there's nothing. Six times. Would you have quit? Would you have quit? Would you have given up and just stopped praying? Before you think about your answer to that question, I know how to answer your question. You might quit. It just depends on how hungry you are. You see, when you're hungry enough, you won't quit. When you're hungry enough, you'll ask again. When you're hungry enough, you won't be satisfied with no. When you're hungry enough, you'll be on your knees. But only when you're hungry enough. Your hunger determines the price you pay and the answer you'll get. Six times, he hears no. Six times, Israel walk around Jericho and not a brick moves. Six times, Naaman, a man with leprosy, dips in the River Jordan and his skin is just as leprous as it was when he ducked under. Six times, he gets nothing six times. Six in the Bible represents the number of men. It represents our best human efforts. Six times they could do nothing. What they really need is a miracle. And on the seventh time, seven is the number of completion. God created the world in six days. And on the seventh day, he rested. It's the number of completion. And I'm just thinking, what if seven being the number of completion wasn't so much as a number, but more about an idea. What if seven was when you have completed the amount of prayers that God wanted you to pray to bring you to a place where he could develop you so that you would be on your knees? What if what God really wanted to see from you was how hungry you were for change? So rather than give it to you up front, he says, I just want to see how much you've got in the tank. I want to develop you. I want to see what you respond like when you don't get what you want immediately. What if you just needed to, com- to pray. The complete amount of prayers. I don't know what that is for you. Maybe it's 50. Maybe it's 100. But what if we wanted to do is just see if you would keep praying. And when the completed prayers are prayed and he's got you to the place that he wants you to be, suddenly breakthrough happens. And if you quit and you stop after 6, you'll never see what God's got for you at 7. There's plenty of people I know that want change. I meet them daily, people that want change, but they've deemed the price too high for change. They're not willing to necessarily do what it takes to see the change be facilitated. When I say do what it takes, you know what I'm I'm pointing at here? I'm not talking about what you have to do. I think we've established that most of the time we need change, we need a miracle. What I'm talking about is getting on your knees and finding your place before God and saying, God, I'm not going to quit. I'm not waiting until there's a fire before I get serious about my prayer life. God, I'm here for you. I just want to listen to what you have to say. I know you I know that you hear me. I know you hear every word. I know you're aware of my current drought situation. But I just want to let you know that despite what I see, I refuse to be convinced by the drought around me. I still contend for your goodness. I still contend for the things that I know you're able to do. I refuse to accept that you can't do this. I know that you're greater than any problem or situation I have. And I refuse to move from this spot until I see breakthrough in my life. Maybe what God wants from you is to see. You be developed rather than just give you everything you need the moment that you ask for it. I think God's, I think He's developing you. And if you quit now, you won't see what He's got, but if you keep praying, maybe you will. But what it might require is sacrifice your sacrifice of time in the morning, getting up every morning and praying for the same thing over and over, but not quitting and not giving up. I've learned that sacrifice is often the path to change. Just ask Jesus Christ. He gave his own life and he sacrificed himself so that your life could be changed. You see, we do love change when it doesn't come at personal cost to us. When it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, change for us came at the cost of his life. And we thank God for it because of what he did. We get to be set free. But now there's a change that needs to happen in your life. Are you willing to pay the price or will it be too high for you and you're not willing to do what it takes to get there? I don't know. Sometimes we just honestly think, I don't even know if I'm praying the right prayer. Maybe the reason that God hasn't answered me is because what I'm asking for is wrong. Well, I love what Bill Hyvel says about this. He says, if the request is wrong, God says No. If the timing is wrong, God says slow. If you are wrong, God says grow. But if it's all good, God says go. I love it. You say to God, God, I've been praying for this thing so long in my life. I just came to a place where I wasn't sure that you could even do anything about it. I'm in a drought. God says back to you, I know, I put you there. (laughs) I'm developing you. I'm growing you. I'm changing you from the inside out. You know what I'm doing? I'm deepening the well. I'm seeing if you can be developed to a place past where you are right now. And I, I think that sometimes what we mistake for God's abandonment is actually his development program. And I tell you what, if you can get past level six, wait till ha- wait till you see it. What happens at level 7. You might be at the level 6 of God's development program. If you quit now, you won't see what God's got for you. You see your hunger. It really does determine the price you pay and the answer that you get. So here's Elijah praying to God for rain. I wonder if in those 6 times if he thought, God, I just can't figure out if this is no, slow, grow or go, I don't know. Said Dr. Zeus. <laughs> he has no idea where things are at. He has no idea. He doesn't know. So, you know what he does? He does what you should do. He keeps praying till he gets clarity. This is what happens when God says, rain. In verse 43, he says, and he said to his servant, go up now and look towards the sea. And he went up and looked again and said, there is nothing. And he said, go again. Seven times, not six, but seven times, he says, go up and see. And at the seventh time, he saw, at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud, like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And now suddenly the servant, he sees what Elijah saw. He sees what Elijah heard. Now the drought has shifted physically. Before that, he was—he could hear it. Elijah in his mind, he could see it, but now everybody else is starting to see it. I feel like God has given people things in this room. You heard it. You know what came from him. Nobody else sees it yet, but it's cool. God put it in there. It's ready. It's going to get developed. It's going to get released. But you know what? There is a, a time and a process and a gap that you're going to cross. And maybe what God is wanting to see from you is how hungry you are for that change to be in your life. Are you willing to just let it go? Or are you willing to say, I contend for the things that you've given to me. I contend for the promises that you've made to me. I contend for, I'm not willing to let what I see dictate to me the authority of my God. My God is sovereign. My God is above all things. He created the earth and everything in it. And I I, I promise you this, any change that you need in your life, He's able to make. Don't stop now. Don't quit now. Don't stop. You've done everything you can do. Great. Now you know when you get answered. It's Him. It's Him. It's Him. You need Him. You need Him to break through. So don't quit now. Don't stop now. I know God wants to shift some things and the lives of people that are in this place. do not you stand to your feet tonight? We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.